those baskets those of you who came um, who, who filled that prayer request you put those in there as well well we are wrapping up our joyous series we're wrapping up a series uh, <clears throat> that we've been spending the last four um, the last four weeks counting today tracking through the book of Philippians we looked at Philippians chapter 1 Philippians chapter 2 3 part 4 guess where we are Philippians chapter 4. So we're just going through, and the concept is that there is this place of us finding true joy and being connected with others. That's the way God designed us to work. That's why the, the body of Christ and being connected with the body of believers is so important. And I realize I'm kind of preaching to the choir, uh, so to speak, on this, because you're here and you're connected with an us. But I want us to be able to really get this deep down so that we really understand the fullness of it. So get into your notes, open your, your bulletin or your version notes, and let's just go ahead and get into this. That, <clears throat> the concept of the fact that the joy of knowing God. Celebration Church is about knowing God better and trusting Him more. Our lives as believers should be this daily growth thing where we understand who He is and what He is about, how much He really loves us, And as we do that, then that enables us to trust him a little more. Anytime you have that little moment in the little romantic movies where you have this little place of tension and the guy looks into the girl's eyes with this little sultry look and he says, do you trust me? Do you trust me? The question, what he's asking is, do you really believe I love and care for you? That's what he's saying. In saying, do you trust me? saying, do you really believe that I love and care for you? Think I'm going to lead you into a place of harm. Love and true trust and really knowing someone's heart are always connected. And it's the same thing with our heart for God. So the, the joy of knowing God is a joy that is boundless as God himself. It's an anytime, anywhere kind of love. And this is so important for us to get because we can tend to think that joy has to do with how things are going on in our life. And it doesn't. Paul is writing this from jail. He's in prison with a death sentence on him. He is in jail and he is writing, encouraging others about having joy in the Lord. This is thing we, this would normally be a thing where we would all be doing a Facebook blast and say, man, our buddy Paul is in jail and they're going to kill him. Write him some emails, write him some notes and encourage our buddy Paul. And he's got this flipped on its head and he's the one in jail. He's the one with the destins and he's the one writing the letter of encouragement. Why? Because he knows his God. And he knows the joy of being connected with others and it changes everything. It is a life-giving, unending kind of joy. And we're going to kind of put something out of order here. We're going to look at Philippians 4.4 first. Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. We looked at this concept last week. Why? Because Philippians chapter 3 talks about rejoicing. This concept of having something that brought joy and going back to it again. You have this place where you are letting this cycle of joy. It's almost like this joy pump where it's just coming in and it's just circulating. And you have joy active constantly. There doesn't have to be something new inputted. What's happened before is this constant source of joy. Talked about that you're celebrating your anniversary with your spouse should be a moment where you celebrate something wonderful. 
Not where you go, oh, I remember that day. That was a rough one. Woo! Do-overs! No. That should not be it. It should be this place where we, every anniversary, should be this place where we're remembering and we have this joy of this commitment and this connection all over again. Where it's the same things pulling this joy in us. And Paul is reminding all of the believers at Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Not when something awesome happens. Not when there's something great. Rejoice always. I'm not going to point out any, any teams because I don't want to step on any toes. But we know there are the teams that have, especially football season, that there are the teams that have the fans that are screaming like crazy and, and just going nuts no matter what's happening. And then you have the fans who are sitting there and they're doing this. And then the guy gets the ball and he gets a 5-yard gain. He gets a 10-yard gain. He gets a 15-yard gain. He gets a 20-yard gain. All of a sudden he breaks loose. Yes! Yes! That's my boy! That's my boy! And then they sit back down. And wait for something else awesome to happen. And then there are those teams that all of a sudden there's a punt. And everybody goes, whoa! That's so awesome! That's my team! They have nothing to do with all this cycle of different things. They're just fully engaged with what's going on. They're just completely engaged. Just the fact to be connected. Just the fact that everybody's in the stadium together. This is just great. As believers, there ought to be this place. And so many times we want to live from, from first down to first down, from touchdown to touchdown, from, from playoff win to playoff win, and just these big moments. And how you doing? And well, it's been a dry spell. Just having it, getting through. Where, you know, you still in relationship with God? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love God. I'm, I'm heaven. I'm going to heaven. I think the big part's done, buddy. Let's have some joy here. We have to understand this. This is the big part. And Paul wants us to never lose that. When we understand that we can savor the big pieces, the ups and downs of the little pieces don't rock us like they used to. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's not even your own joy. It's the joy of the Lord. I want us to really drill down now. Knowing that God loves us. I didn't put knowing that God loves you. There's this thing where it is, it's personal and it is for you. But there's this place where it needs to get bigger than you. And knowing that God loves us and has given himself for us. Helps keep the things, and you'll see why that's in quotes in a minute. In right perspective. Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, and I made it the West Texas version, y'all whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. You whom I love and long for, my brothers and sisters, I'm talking to all of you. I'm talking to all of you. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. He's about to reveal a way. Okay? And we're going to get into that in just a moment. But there's this place where we have to understand and understand that God loves us. And it changes things. 
Sometimes we begin to see that this place that, man, God's for me and anybody that's against me is, man, is an enemy and almost not now an enemy to God. And so many times it's just not the truth. You're all sitting there, you're, you're, at, you're at odds with each other. And the problem is, is you need to both get on God's side. And that's what, what bring alignment. That's what, what bring things. I, almost all of us, does anybody, does anybody drive a car for any length of time and not get irritated? You do it? Does anybody, does anybody like the most peaceful driver ever? Show all the hands of the people who you get irritated at other drivers. Thank you. It's all of us with driver's licenses. It's those of us that have a driver's license that are sitting in the passenger side of the car. And we're irritated at the other drivers and the person that's driving the car we're in. Like, why are you, why'd you choose to go to Roses this way? This is the longest way to Roses ever. I'm not pointing out anybody. And so... But we just get irritated, and, and I used to I'd sit there, and I've never, not in my adult life, have had an issue with traditional bad language. Uh, but you, we all make our own bad language. We all make our own, the shoot, dang. And I would sit there, and somebody would do something I didn't like, and man, my favorite word was moron. And I'd just go, moron or idiot. And uh, man, and so, and, and then somebody just cuts me off one day and sadly San Angelo don't, don't know how to use entry ramps and exit ramps. We still don't know how to do that well. And that's a high moron like there needs to be like a moron crossing moron entering signs <laughs> at all of our entry ramps and exit ramps on the loop. There needs to be. And I've probably been one. You've probably called me a moron before. And so... Uh, Anyways, and so I was sitting there, and sure enough, this happens to me one day, and I'm just irritated, and I just offhanded. I don't go on a huge rage. I'm just like, moron! I have to move over. And then they didn't even enter. You jumped the light. You got on the entry ramp, and you got off, and you just jumped the light. You just blocked me. Were you playing fullback on the deal here? I'm just, I'm just trying to get over there. This is ridiculous. And so, anyway, so I do that, and the Holy Spirit just checks me and says, I love that person. I love that person. I tell you what, I might get on to my kid, but you know what? Cutie might, she get on our kids, but do not call our children a moron in front of one of us. Because, uh, man, that's my kid. I love you, but I love them too, and don't do that. And man, the Holy Spirit just checked me that I love that person. And I'm like, Lord, you're right. I'm so sorry. And then I sit there, and a little bit later, I do it again. The Holy Spirit reminds me again. And sure enough, it happens, and I'm just getting better at it and getting better at it and getting better at it. And then sure enough, I'm coming up Sherwood Way one day. Somebody pulls out a Henry's. Did not watch what they were doing, just pull right out, and I have to slam on my brakes. And I'm like, And then you do the good old, I'm going to tell them, and you whip over, and and whip back. And as I am, and do the glance out of the corner of your eye, 
It's the assistant pastor at our church. <laughs> it was Daryl Eaton. And I moroned Daryl Eaton. And I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, you've been telling me and telling me. And then I know you love that guy. You love him more than you love me. Oh. And so we're both going to the office. And I get to the office and I go in and I'm like, Pastor Daryl. And he didn't even notice. He didn't even notice what had happened. Those people, when we do that, we don't know we do it. We create all sorts of stuff and nobody knows. And I sit there and I, and I go into his office and I was like, I, I'm so sorry, sir. I need to repent for calling you a moron. And he's an old Navy guy. And uh, he's a guy, you know, he wouldn't normally, you know, like being called names. And uh, but man, he was so gracious with me and understood. And, uh, and at that point, all of a sudden, it just really drilled down in me. And not that I've never done that ever again, but it's just, man, it's just real quick. And all of a sudden, getting a bigger perspective. When we begin to see that God loves us, when we begin to get at odds with somebody, especially another believer, somebody that we're trying to do life together, and remember how much God loves them too. Oh, man, it just, oh. All right, Lord, let's get this figured out. Which is where we step into Philippians 4.2. And Paul begins to get personal. He's writing to all the whole church, but there's, a, there's an issue here. And Paul says, I plead with Eodia, and I plead with Synecdoche. So it's not, he could have said, I plead with Eodia and Synecdoche if they were together in something. There were people who he had to rebuke that were together in their wrongness. Like some guys named Hymenaeus and Alexander. And he put them together. Deal with Hymenaeus and Alexander, put it together. But this is this thing like me going, I, I plead with Iodia and I plead with you too, Synecdoche. I'm talking to both of you. I'm not calling just one of you. I'm going, both of you listen to me. He says, to be of the same mind, where? In the Lord. There was some sort of division. We don't know what it was but man i tell you what it sounds like as you read this and paul having to call it out in his letter man it sounds like it was nothing short of people getting team iodia and team synecdoche t-shirts man there were just like people who were there it's a division there were problems and people were rallying to it and it was creating an issue inside the philippian church and he doesn't say you know what this one's right or that one's right he says be of the same mind where in the lord You begin to get on page with God and all of a sudden these different things are going to get together. You know what? Because odds are the right part of the high ground you're standing on is probably right. But you know what? The other person, when the high ground they're standing on, they probably have some right too. And you know what? You can stand apart and mildly right for the rest of your lives. Or you can come together And you stay with that part that's right and you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to blend it. And then you both end up on the same page. And this is why it's so important for us. And and the joy of the us that God has created can get robbed when we let these little divisive things come in. And all of a sudden people who had been best friends forever are at odds over something little that if they'll just get in the mind of Christ, it'll get dealt with. If we remember that, guess what? God's still working on that person. Remember chapter 1? One, Paul says he's got all this joy because he's confident that God who began a good work in them is going to complete that work in them. 
He found joy knowing that God wasn't done with them. The places where we rub each other wrong, we need to find joy and go, God's not done. And I can see where he's not done. But he's not done with you yet. Just be patient. We just have to be patient with each other. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Both of these ladies have been strong advocates for Paul. Both of them. And he wants things back together along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Then we come back into this place. And verse 4 shows up, rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. So when we put it all together, we see this says, my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord in this way. In what way? When there's an issue that comes in, come together in the mind of Christ and then find that original place of joy. I'm telling you what, families can stay together if we'll do this. Friendships can stay together we'll do this. People who serve in ministry and when division comes in can stay together if we will do this and we will keep the joy at the center of it. So let's quickly look at these things that the right perspective and understanding that God loves us all deals with. First off, it'll help us to worry about nothing. Man, worry is just such an insidious, horrible thing. Man, the pharmaceutical industry has just a whole litany of stuff to deal with anxiety and depression. And and they're looking for more and more and more. And sadly, as our world gets more and more complex and, and we learn more and more about different things. I mean, how many of us are know about tragedies that are, happen nowhere near us? Why? Because of our 24-hour news cycle and Facebook and all these different things. I mean, there's so many different things that affect us daily that used to, without these little devices we carry around, would never bring in this place of worry and stress in our lives. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. One of my favorite pictures of not being anxious about anything is years ago we got the opportunity as a family to go to <clears throat> Disney World. And Disney World is, of course, a fun place, a big place. And uh, Carson was five years old. And I was having a great time, and we had stayed late. They had a pirate and princess party after hours, so we, they were there till almost midnight. So it had been a, a good, hard day. We'd already been there a couple of days. And everybody wanted the Mickey ears. And then when you get your Mickey ears, well, then you got to have your name embroidered on your Mickey ears. So we got the Mickey ears and got the different stuff. And we're standing there at the embroidery. And here's this little whole shelf of stuff in the store just dedicated to Tinkerbell. So there's the whole Tinkerbell shelf. And we're all waiting. And we got a bunch of kids. So it's a bunch of Mickey ears to embroider. So it's taking us a minute. And uh, all of a sudden we look over. And at one minute, Carson is sword fighting one of the employees. And boy, he's just letting it go, boy, and just having it. And it was a great time. Next thing we know, Carson is just sitting there on the Tinkerbell shelf. Next thing we know, Carson is laid out and he is asleep on the Tinkerbell shelf. He's just sitting there. You see all this Tinkerbell stuff and this cute little five-year-old boy. Little for sale sign under him. And then this, like, wow, they go all out at this place. And um, anyways, the... Uh, 
He's just totally out. He was not in his normal environment. That wasn't a normal place to sleep, but he had full confidence. His daddy's right there, and he can go to sleep wherever he feels like going to sleep. Why? Because daddy's got this. And sure enough, he got scooped up. He got walked out. He got onto a ferry. He got carried across. He got onto a little bus and got all the way back to where his little bed was, and he never knew how it happened. Never knew. And why but just that childlike confidence that he didn't have to worry and be anxious about anything. 500 years ago, Michael DeMonaghan said this. He said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. Most of which has never, ever happened. That quote has been making people laugh for 500 years now. But the truth is, it's really no joke at all. The stress that is generated by, and all of this different stuff that's generated by the stress and the anxiety that brings on, the hormones that are released, dump all of these different things into your body. They're linked to shrinking brain mass, lowering your IQ, If there's something that really needs to be worried about, don't you want all your brain cylinders working? You need a problem you need to address. But stress and worry will actually lower your IQ. It's been connected with heart disease and cancer and premature aging. It's connected with marital problems and family dysfunction and clinical depression. Making seniors more likely to develop dementia and Alzheimer's. It does no good. In fact, there was a study that was done that says that 80 to 90% of the things that people worry about never, ever happen. Never happen. Charted it, did a story, all this kind of stuff. It just never, ever, ever took place. And there was a doctor at John Hopkins University that said this, said, we don't know why it is that worriers die sooner than non-worriers, but it is a fact. And then linking that with the fact that most things, the huge majority of things that we worry about never happen, this statement was tied to it, that to live by worry is to live against reality. It's to fabricate something that's not even real and live in a horrible, messed up, fabricated world. Doesn't even happen. And then brings up all this stuff. Matthew 6, 27 says, Who who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Matthew 6, 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So how do we deal with that? How do we really worry about nothing. Well, Paul, he carries on. He doesn't leave us hanging. Verse 6 picks it up and tells us to pray about everything. In everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which if you're at peace, you're not in worry, will tra- <clears throat> which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Where does all of this worrying take place? In our minds the issues of our heart. That's where all of it takes place. If we'll really present these things to God and trust that he's for us, 
He's sitting there and he's got that look, look of love on his face and he's saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And are we going to stick our hand in his and say, I don't understand it. I don't understand it, but I do. I do trust you. I believe that you love me. I believe that you've got this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's this, do not misread this. It's not that every circumstance is God's will for you. He says, giving thanks, no matter what gets thrown at you, is God's will for you. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. Deuteronomy 30.19 tells us, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. It has come our way because we... We pushed God out a long, long time ago when we chose to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. So guess what? Every day there's accessible to us what? Good and evil. It's there. It's right there in our faces all the time. So there will be evil stuff, but we need to point our attention towards God, and that's where things shift. The next thing is, is we need to think about the right things. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true... That means there's some stuff that's a lie. Whatever is noble, that means there's some stuff that is not of, is not of nobility. It's just, it's just junk. It's not something that's fit for a king. Whatever is right, that means there's stuff that's wrong. Our culture wants to try to say that we can create our own rights. It's not true. We have the freedom in Christ. We have the freedom by God. To live the way you want to live. God made you a chooser and you can choose your own route. But just because you sit there, God told us life and death to set in front of you, but choose life. That means there's some death choices. And people choose them all the time. But there are some death choices. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever y'all have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with y'all. This place where God's peace is invited in to us whenever we begin to recognize how much he is for us. That's why having a right perspective about who God is and his attitude towards you changes everything. If you think that God is looking for a way to kick you to the curb and to get you will not engage with him right on any level. You just won't. That's why the biggest testimony of what God thinks about you is is that he sent his son for you. If you can get if you wrap your mind around that, if you can wrap around the sacrifice that was made, you can begin to see how much he is for you and he loves you. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he or man thinks in his heart, so is he. This is so important. Fifteen different times Jesus refers to people's thinking. Fifteen different times he brings it up on what's going on in people's minds. Next thing is, is be contented with my things. So much comes and there begins to be, we get at odds over simple envy. Somebody has something and I don't have it. Whether it's something physical, they got a better house, they got a better car. They got a better hairstyle, they got a better whatever. Or they got recognized at work and I didn't get recognized, I got overlooked. Or they got this or, or they have that or, or even, in, even in church life. Well, they got to do this and I didn't get to do that or any of these different things. 
And when things can just be messed up, or whenever we let that come in. Philippians 4 says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And he's not writing this from his mansion being fanned by a bunch of servants. He is chained up in jail when he's saying that he understands what it means to be content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Why? Because as soon as you are at a place that you can just enjoy life however and the way things flow, does that mean you, you don't have ambition? No, that doesn't mean that you don't be able to move forward. We see that, that God <clears throat> prospered all sorts of people throughout the scriptures. The thing is, is they wanted God more than they wanted any of that other stuff. And in their pursuit and just treating people right and doing business right and being honorable, it was all of the other stuff was a byproduct of being a person who sought after God. Last one is trust God for all things. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So many times we want to pour up hit that scripture and, you know, we want to carry it with us into the gym and, you know, try to lift more weight than we can lift. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. misuse of that scripture what this is about is Paul this saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength this comes right right there it's coupled with it of him saying that you know whatever situation I find myself in I can still be at a place of peace I think most of us need to tap into strength for that more than we do to just about anything else man how how great would life be if we could just man just enjoy and just fully enjoy right where we are in this moment golly how good could life be we always go oh man i so wish i could be there and see that sunset oh i so wish i could be there on that beach or on that mountaintop or on this other place or on this other side of town or in this other deal or in this other sofa or whatever it is and man then i'm going to really be at peace what if we just enjoyed it right now that's the strength God gives us, is to have that. That kind of relaxation and joy that we somehow save up for and go and try to harvest on vacation. We can have that kind of joy and peace in Christ all the time. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How many of us Live lives in turmoil and anxiety and, and in place of envy and all sorts of different things just because we're not convinced that God really is going to take care of us. Man, we get this down deep in our hearts, man, that God is so forced. Man, the sky's the limit. Man, we can follow him anywhere. We can live the way God intended us to live as soon as we begin to do that. Yeah, does that mean that we're all just going to sit back and God's just going to dump golden quarters out of the sky and pay all our bills? No, he's built us to do stuff. He's built us to be a blessing. He's built us to go out and to, to, <clears throat> to make a difference in our world. And in that provision and life comes. But God is the one who's in the 
of the one who's ultimately our provider and our source for all. John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let it happen. It'll try to creep in. Trust in God. Trust also in me. This place where we find this joy in him. We find this place of contentment and this place of connection. God gives that to us. And we're going to spend the next nine weeks of seeing how to walk that out in an untroubled way. Not to let our hearts be troubled, but to really, really, really trust him. I want to create a quiet moment right now. Well, if you're here today and you're like, Brandon, man, I, I ha- I've not been in a place of contentment. I've not been in a place of understanding that God loves me. I've not been in a place of, of understanding how that God has made me right with him. I've always thought that this getting to heaven thing was about checking off all the right lists. In fact, I showed up at church today to try to punch that little card so I could try to make God happy with me. Brandon, I recognize that there's nothing I can do to earn God's love. He's already loving me and I see that now. I see that. I see that God loves me. I see that he gave heaven's best in Jesus for me and I believe that I am his child simply because of what Jesus did. 